Again, I am grateful that you are here this morning. Welcome. I hope that you are grateful to be here as well. Yesterday, my family and I um, spent the afternoon just on a, a family day, is what we call it. Put that on the calendar once a month just to spend time together. And um, we drove down to Albany, and uh, we were in Roger and Dee's neighborhood, their neck of the woods. And uh, going down there, we were walking in downtown. We were looking for a shop that we found out is actually in Corvallis, but we were told it was in Albany. Um, and, and we were going to go to another store, which is out of business now. So the two reasons we were down there were both obsolete. So okay. So we're down there. We're like, well, let's enjoy so we're walking on the waterfront, and, or along the waterfront, and then we saw a sign that said carousel, and the kids, let's go to the carousel. So we try to make our way to the carousel. Um, anyone been to the carousel in, Ar- in Albany by chance? A couple, a handful of you. So we go down there, and we, we finally make it to the carousel, and uh, we realized that they were just closing up. And we were there at 4 o'clock, and they're, they're done at 4 so it was like maybe 4.05, I don't know. And we're, we're actually, I think my daughter said it was 4.07. Yep, she's shaking her head, yes, it was 4.07. So we're, we're just peering in, just looking through the windows, trying to see what's, what's in there and what these animals, because it's not like the Salem carousel, which is mostly horses. This is all unique animals. And so we're peering through in Albany in the carousel, trying to figure out what kind of animals there are. And then this older gentleman comes walking up to us, from the inside, and opens the door, and he says, hey, would you like to come inside and get a better look? And we said, oh, well, um, sure, we noticed that you are actually closed, but can you let us in? And he said, oh, come on in. It's, it's just fine. Because of COVID, our hours are actually 11 to 4. We had to shorten them quite a bit, but I would love to let you in. So he said, you need to take a look at these at the carousel up close and personal. So he's like, like these are, and he was telling different stories from the outside. This is, this is what this animal is, and, and this is how long it took to carve this animal. It takes a long time. This is how long it takes to paint. And he says, and um, I want to take you downstairs. So he's, come with me, come with me. So we go with him and get in the elevator. And at that point, my son, my youngest son, and I are both thinking, is this safe or not? Like uh, getting close to October thirty first here. Are we okay? I I think this is feeling okay. Yeah, let's let's do this. So we're you know we go downstairs to the basement. I had no idea there's a basement there. Go in the basement and there are all these older carousel horses that are on display, and they are beautiful. The oldest one was eighteen eighty nine, I think. And he said, but the most valuable one is this one over here, which was carved around uh, like the 19, early 1900s, um, maybe late 1800s. He said it's most valuable because it has real horse hair on it. They quit doing that. This is the most valuable one here. And he just, he just had a story for everyone and just loved taking us. And this one and this one, and like his heart was in it. And then he said, and come look at where they're carving and there was two older men who were carving. And, he, and there's a line there. You know, you can't go beyond this line. He says, well, well, look in, look over. And then eventually he says, oh, forget it. Just come inside. Just come inside and look around. I want to show you this. 
this is incredible. These guys know what they're doing. And then we, we eventually go back upstairs and he says, and you've got to see where we paint them. Okay, if you, if you insist. And he shows us where they paint these animals. And these are the animals that, that they're painting. This is what's going to go on the carousel next. And then when we think we're all done, he says, and don't you think you all should go for a ride? If you insist, we will. And so he had two volunteers that walked in because they had like a private party coming in later that night. And he says, these people will treat you great. Get on. And he, he went through the, all the rules because there's COVID rules now. So you can't touch any animal until you decide what animal you want to ride. Then you can touch it. And then we got on. And we had the whole place to ourselves, and we went for our carousel ride. It was one of those things where we left, and it was, I was like, just, I can't believe what just happened. My wife said, I was almost crying the whole time. This man was so nice to do that. It was wonderful. So if you're um, ever down in Roger and Dee's neck of the woods, I encourage you, go by the carousel. There's some really good people there. And, and enjoy them. All right. Again, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here. I want to just pray this morning. And I really, I'm, I'm believing that the Lord has something for us, as I believe he does every week. But I say that because I've sensed that this morning. Um, I, I've, I woke up last night at 2.30 and I couldn't sleep for an hour. And I really felt like there was, um, there was a number of things. Part of it, I think it was a chai tea I had <laughs> last night. I was, that, was, that was doing it. But I also felt like there was some spiritual battle going on. And um, I, I don't know everyone's heart, but I also believe that God wants to speak this morning. And so there's times where, as your pastor, I am a little bit more acutely aware that there is battle that is taking place. And so I spent an hour praying last night, not because I'm spiritual, more, you know, I just, I was really calling out to God because I needed his mercy. Um, and so I want to come this morning in the same way. God, I, I thank you that you are merciful and gracious God. Lord, we come to you this morning aware, I trust, aware that we need you. And God, when we understand that we need you, you are faithful to meet us in that need. So Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Guard and guide my words. May they be your words given by your Spirit's power. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It would be so much easier to trust God if we could control him. You probably didn't think I was going to start out the message that way, did you? Did you hear what I said? It would be so much easier to trust God if we could control him. And before you think, well, I don't try to tr- control God. Think again. I think that there's part of us that says, um, if I know there is a silver lining at the end of every problem I face, 
I can trust God. So I think of two examples I'll mention, but there's many more. I encounter financial difficulty. I learn to trust God in the financial difficulty because we know we're Christians. We know that, hey, this is going to make me stronger. Okay, I'm going to lean into God. Yes, but I'm going to pull through and I'm going to be better off than I was before. Then I can trust God. That's my control of him. Or I have some health issues. Okay, we all get health issues. May our health issues not be so bad. It's hard. I learn to trust God in that time. God pulls me through. There's a silver lining. I'm okay. I can trust God. But if there is no guaranteed silver lining, I don't know if I can trust God. One of the commentaries I read this last week was saying, if we do not trust someone, we try to control them. We try to manipulate them. This is human nature. So if you do not trust God, and I do not only point the finger at you, if I do not trust God... My natural inclination is to try to control God. Now, we can't control God, can we? It doesn't work. You can't control the creator of the universe. So then we try to make stipulations. God, I will follow you if. I mean, if if you will work this stuff out, then I will follow you. Or I will find it easier to follow you. God doesn't always give us that guarantee. I think about my own kids and I say this with the best of intent. (laughs) I didn't ask them if I could share this. I think they're okay with this one here. I usually try to guard my stories and my children as carefully as possible and get their permission. I think they'll be okay with this. My kids have come up to me before, as I probably did with my parents, and they have said this half-jokingly. Dad, I'm going to ask you a question and the answer is going to be yes. Right? Been there before? And they cannot help but smile on that. Dad, I got a question for you. And the answer is yes. To which I respond, you give me the question and I'll give you my answer. We'll find out if my answer is yes. Now, as as funny as that is, don't we do that with God? God, I have a question for you and the answer is going to be yes. God, I have a request for you, and the answer is yes. I don't want any no. And I really don't like the maybe or the wait on this or learn to be a bit more patient here. I want the answer yes. I want a yes. I was thinking this last week. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I was thinking about the song that Um, All your promises are yes and amen, which actually come from Scripture. I was thinking about the context of that. It is looking at the faithfulness of God. That God is faithful, and in his faithfulness, he is saying yes and amen to his faithfulness. But I don't believe it means that just because you ask something means he's going to say yes, amen, so be it. God, I want a Ferrari. So be it. No. 
No, God is saying yes and amen to his faithfulness. He's there. He is with us. Take your Bible. Turn to 1 Samuel. I'm going to do the best I can to get through all of this. Last night as I was going through this message, again, looking it over, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to finish this in one Sunday. My goal is to do that, and I'm looking at the clock thinking that I can. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 8. We're looking at this whole sermon series idea of transitions. That we, as a people, are in transition just as the people, God's people, living 3,000 years ago, were in transition as well. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, look at verses 1 through 3. It says this, But Samuel grew old, which lets us know that time had passed here since we last were looking at this passage. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Stop there just briefly. How sad. How sad of a story. I really believe that Samuel was a godly man. I, the indications that we have from Scripture, looking at 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, I believe that he was a godly man. He loved the Lord. He listened to the Lord. The Lord spoke to him. But look at his sons. It says that they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and they perverted justice. This is the story of his sons. Does this trio, father and two boys, remind you of anyone that we've looked at recently? You only have to go back a couple chapters, don't you? We've got Eli the priest and his sons Hophni and Phinehas. And they did the same thing. They didn't love God. All they cared about was themselves. And, and look, a generation passes and we have the same problem. You've got Joel and Abijah now who are, they just don't care to honor the Lord. Read on. Look at verses 4 and 5. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, to Samuel, you are old. Never tell someone that they're old, right? <laughs> but they did. You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. I want you to notice something here. It says, when they, when they did this, they said, You are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Your sons are not walking as you are walking. 
So, really quickly, back to this trio here. What's the difference? We've got two fathers, Eli and Samuel, with two boys, two sets of boys. The boys all don't care about the Lord. What's the difference? Well, I'm reading in between the lines here a bit, I recognize. But I do gather this from Eli. He was passive. He did not care to confront his boys. He just, he didn't care. They were, and, and they, they were living right with him. They were serving with him in the tabernacle. And he knew what was going on, and yet he was just passive. And he just let them continue. Samuel. From what I gather, well, first off, here's what I do know. His boys were, did you catch where they're at? They're in Beersheba, 50 miles away from where Samuel is living. Okay? Now, that's not a big deal to us today. Back then, that was a big deal. Okay? This was like, well, we may as well be in Washington, D.C. Okay? Maybe not quite like that, but maybe like, um, I don't know, Carson City, Utah, or some, I, uh, Nevada, I mean. Um, somewhere else, okay? It, it's just, it's, we don't go there often. Um, Samuel is noted by the elders of Israel as living a life different than his boys. They have not adopted your ways. They are not living in the way that you live. Here's what I catch from Samuel, who I believe was a godly man, just because his sons did not walk with the Lord does not mean that he did not walk with the Lord. Just because a parent is godly does not mean their children will be godly. Every person, every one of us has an individual choice. Will I honor the Lord or not? Will I walk with the Lord or not? These two sets of boys chose poorly. That did not keep Samuel from living for the Lord. Was he a perfect man? No. But I still believe that he was a godly man. I think about a professor I had in college at Multnomah from my undergrad. Um, He taught prophets. And I believe that he was a very godly man. I mean, I know that we can put on a show and But from everything I gathered, I had him my junior year and I had known him for about three years, I just gathered that he was a godly man. Halfway through the spring semester, he shared with our class and his heart just broke because his son or his boys, I forget if it was one or a couple, I just remember his heart breaking in class. They're not walking with the Lord and it just broke his heart. It just broke his heart. This morning we had Franklin Graham up here. Franklin Graham is a son of Billy Graham. How would you like Billy Graham as your father? Man, that'd be hard. That was hard for Franklin Graham. And he was a rebel. He was a complete rebel. He just completely rejected God. I want nothing to do with God. Wrote a book about it. Look at who he is now. 
By the way, if, if you are a parent and you have a child who is not walking with the Lord, I just encourage you to remember that God is not done writing every chapter of their book. Please remember that and you continue to pray. Continue to pray. Well, let's, let's continue on here um, with this. Look at verse 6. Oh, no, I can't move on yet. Because um, I need to get back to this. What was their request? Their request was, we want a king. Is there anything wrong with that? No. In short, there's nothing wrong with that. In the book of Deuteronomy, God actually gave kind of prescription on what a king would be like and how you would go about this. There's nothing wrong with the elders of Israel wanting a king. What was wrong was what they said next. Give us a king so that we can be like all the other nations. It revealed their heart. We want a king so that we can be like the other nations. You see, like when we go into battle, they have their kings who lead the march. And we want a human king to lead our march. Because we have the Ark of the Covenant. We want a human king. We want to be like everyone else. This revealed their heart. They wanted to be like everyone else. Read on. Verse 6. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them and solemnly let them know what the king who will reign over them, will do. Does this confuse you at all? God is saying to Samuel, first off, Samuel, don't take offense at this. They are not rejecting you. He says they are rejecting me. And by the way, they have been rejecting me from day one. Since I brought them out of Egypt, I delivered the, 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 these people. And they continue to kind of roller coaster. I love the Lord. Oh, we want to be like the other nations. Let's serve the Baals. I love the Lord. It was just this roller coaster ride, and it continues on this way. And God says, the people reject me. They are rejecting me, God said, not you. But does it... Does it strike you as interesting that God says, this is their rejection of me, now give them a king. So they should not have the king, but give them the king. What they're asking for is a rejection of me, now give them their rejection of me. Is what they're, that's what God is saying. Go ahead and give them what they are asking for. Has this ever happened to you? 
Has God ever allowed you something that wasn't best for you? Has God ever given something to us, something that wasn't best for us? Why? Because our heart was just really set on it. I need that. I must have this in order for me to be okay. I need that. And perhaps there is this warning even. Nate, don't go there. It's a dead end road. It's (laughs) cul-de-sac. Don't do this. And my own stubbornness and pride is just, I want it. I can have it, right? I mean, I'm human. I'm an American of the 21st century. Don't tell me what I can't have. You know, and, and I think that for, in this case, God tells Samuel, give them what they want. Give them a king. But, but Samuel, you warn them and you tell them first, what's going to happen and so I'm not going to read this part, but, but Samuel tells them what's going to happen. He says, you need to understand that if you have a human king, then, then know this, this human king is going to take your sons. And he's going to take your daughters. And he's going to make them servants. They will serve him. They won't serve you. They will serve him. And, and this king is going to take the best of your crops, the best of your vineyards. This, this human king is going to take a tenth of what you want, of what you make. And as American citizens, I say, if only it was just a tenth that our king were to take, that would be wonderful. It was a tenth. He's going to take a tenth. Do, do you hear a, this, this repeated word here? If you do this, the king is going to take, take, take. You have a king. The king is going to take from you. I find this so ironic. Because what do the people want? They want a king for prosperity. They want a king for success. They want a king for security. And what does the human king do? The human king is going to take. God is warning them, if you have this, be warned, this is what's going to happen. Now, in our lives, there are times where I think that we are the same way, where we want something so bad and God eventually says, okay, you may have this. And let's talk later and see how this works for you. Let me know how that's going for you. Let me know how that works. I don't believe it's that. God ever leaves, not talk later in that way like God has left. But I think God says, you want it? I'll let you have it. And let's see if you really find the happiness that you believe is found here. Well, look at the way that the elders of Israel respond. Turn to uh, verse 19 of the same chapter, chapter 8. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us 
and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone go back to his town. Um, Turn over now a couple chapters to chapter 10. Chapter 10, look at verse 17. Now before I read these verses, what happens here? We're introduced to a man by the name of Saul. Saul becomes the very first king of Israel. And in this case, Saul is um, out looking for his dad's donkeys. <laughs> Crazy. Dad lost. Dad's name is Kish. Loses three donkeys. Sent Saul out with a servant to look for the donkeys. So Saul is wandering, looking for donkeys. Can't find the donkeys. And he's, he's, he's going to give up on it. And his servant says, hey, there's a seer. That's a prophet. There's a seer who um, is in Ramah, and we could go there, and maybe this seer could help us out. God tells Samuel, this prophet, this seer, that there's a man who's coming. Anoint that man as, as King Saul does. And now, let's look at verse 17 of chapter 10. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah. Recognize that place? We, we looked at this place a couple weeks ago. This is the same place where the people repented, where they confessed their sins. So interesting that, that Samuel pulls them together in the same place where they had confessed their dependence on the Lord and their recognition of, God, I need you. Um, get rid of the idols and stuff. Okay, so let's gather there again. I think that was probably very intentional. And Samuel says to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man of God come here yet? Or has the man come here yet? The Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Crazy. Verse 23, they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people, each to his own home. 
Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. Well, this is the coronation of King Saul. What an interesting speech to have at the coronation of the king, given by Samuel. Did you hear those words? (laughs) You have rejected the Lord your God. Because you have rejected the Lord your God, the Lord is going to give you a king. That's my speech. (laughs) Now let's... Now let's crown the king, basically. And, and when they do this, to, to do this, the tribes are, are there, and they are kind of um, almost like, a, in my mind, like a modern game show. Let's eliminate the, eliminate the tribes that it is not. And then, well, we have the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe still standing. Um, not the greatest tribe, quite honestly. None of the tribes were that great. Long list, long, long history of disobedience. Um, but this is a tribe that Saul comes from. And then um, the tribe of Benjamin, it is, it is narrowed more by clan. And then from clan to finally Saul. But where's Saul? He's hiding in the baggage. <laughs> Where did he go? He's in the baggage. This is your king. Behold your king. I wonder what kind of personality he had. You know, he was, um, we're told that he was a head taller. There's another place that says that he was really good looking. In the words of, uh, I think I'm a man of the 90s. Back in the 1990s, he was a stud muffin. I like that, that terminology. He was a good looking guy, okay? He was a stud muffin. But there's a lot more to a person than how they look. And this guy is in the luggage, hanging out, and the baggage, hanging out. This is your king that you want to have lead you. I want to think, as I conclude here in a bit, about us. I, uh, and this is where it gets more personal uh, for each of us. Looking at Israel, they really believed our life is going to be better if we have a king. My life will be better if I have a human king. Have you ever wanted something really bad? only to find it wasn't as good as you thought. That's what's going on here in 1 Samuel 8 through 10. The people believe they know what is best for them. And they don't. They don't know. And God warns them And even as they are warned, they still choose disobedience. You and I must be honest about the desires that we have. Perhaps the desire isn't even wrong. But if we aren't careful, we can make 
our desire, our king. We make what we want our king. This is what Israel did. I want to give you a couple possibilities here. And I know that there are many more, but these are some that I have thought about. As you know, I was a youth pastor for 17 years. I watched over and over again teenagers believe that a relationship with a person, the opposite gender, was the answer. Uh, That was the solution. If I have a relationship with a guy, I'll be okay. I'll be happy. Or vice versa, a guy to a girl. If I have a relationship with a girl, I'll be okay. It didn't work well. And I saw some people who were almost desperate. I need that. I want that so bad. Now, many of us are adults in this room. But let's just understand this. That we can be the same. We can, we can, we can believe this as well. Marriage is a solution. If I get married, then I'll be happy. I will, that's the solution. I need marriage. I need a spouse. I need a husband. I need a wife. I'm telling you, if that is the attitude that we bring, look out. We put unrealistic expectations on our spouse, wanting our spouse to meet our every need. Our spouse can't do that. Only God can. Only God does. Do we understand that? See, we can make a spouse, married or single, we can make a spouse our king. I've known people who desire success, believing that their purpose and meaning is connected to their success. Success is their king. That's what they serve. That's what they long for. That's the desire of their heart. What happens when you make success your king? You overwork. You get jealous of successful people. You resent other people when they are promoted or praised. It rubs you the wrong way because it's not me. And you are devastated when you are not praised, when you are not promoted. You see, success can be our king. It's a dangerous road. A third option. This last week for one of my assignments in one of my classes right now, I had to go 24 hours without my phone. And then, of course, I had to write a paper on it (laughs) because we write a paper for everything. And I did. And I recognized in my paper, I wrote, I think having this fast from my phone led me to understand that fasting from my phone 
shows me that my phone is my way sometimes of looking for validation. Like I matter. Like I'm important. Like how many text messages did I get? How many calls did I miss? You see, that makes me feel important because I'm needed. Yep, people needed me. That's validation. That's shallow. But you see, a phone can be my king. A phone can be your king. There's many other ways that this can play out. I've known people who say, I am not mastered by anything, and they're quite proud of it. I don't need marriage. I don't need relationships. I don't need success. I don't need a phone. And I don't need anything else in there that you would substitute as my king. I'm fine on my own. They have made themselves king. They have made themselves king. When I told Kelsey this, she went, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yes, we're all in the same boat. We are all in the same boat because we all want to look to something as our king. Our time is up. But I ask you this morning, what's your king? What, what do you believe is the answer, is the solution? This is the silver lining at the end. This is how I know I'm okay. And quite frankly, going back to the start of this message, it is our attempt at controlling and manipulating God. It's shallow Christianity. It doesn't work. It's unhealthy. But I've got to be honest. I try to do it a lot. I think we try to do it a lot. It's a dead-end road. Israel made their king their king. They looked to a human being, a man, to be their king, to lead them. And we're going to see how this plays out. It's not pretty. It's not pretty when we look to something other than the Lord to be our king. Who are you serving? Who are you looking to to be your king? Where are you trying to find validation, meaning, security, importance? May these words speak to our hearts this morning. God, I trust that each of us, myself included, are able to look at a passage like this and honestly let you speak to us about what our king might be. And Lord, if we have chosen our king poorly, as the children of Israel did, I am grateful that again you are merciful and you are gracious, and you are forgiving, and you are patient. You are abounding in love. I thank you for that.
God, we just simply, in these moments, we need these moments to remind us to turn back to you, to seek you with all of our heart. Father, give us greater consistency in pursuing you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.